0: Will this be your favorite podcast of the year? Not just for Rule Breaker Investing, I mean, will this be your favorite podcast of 2018? Well, I can't say. But heck, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do my best, but I can't be sure. But I will share with you my own feeling. This might be my favorite RBI podcast of the year. And why? Well, one, it's Mailbag, and I always love responding to your thoughts and questions. Two, it's all laced with poetry. To every one of the five mailbag items we cover this week, I've attached a poem, works that have been previously featured throughout the year on this podcast, some of my favorite stuff. Creativity, both occasionally silly and sometimes stunning. Yep, it's the last Rule Breaker Investing podcast for 2018, your mailbag and our poetry of Rule Breaker Investing, starting now. This podcast is brought to you by Absolutely nobody. Yep, that's right. Nobody wanted to advertise during this busy week. This comes out on Boxing Day, December 26th, the day after Christmas. And I can imagine that our sponsors thought, nobody's going to be listening on December 26th. And so, in place of our normal sponsorship, I just want to say thanks for listening. It is a really busy time of year, but we've never missed a week in three-plus years of doing this podcast, fresh content every week, and we're definitely not skimping with the final podcast of 2018. So, I'm not going to thank any sponsor this week. I'm going to thank you. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. All right, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm delighted to have you joining with me here the final week of 2018, a year of market ups and downs. And since I'm taping this ahead of time, that's right, my producer Rick Engdahl and I have prepared this for you, but we whipped this up some days back so that we ourselves could be enjoying this holiday week with our families. And in my case, I'm even on the way to London somewhere right around the time that you hear this podcast. But it is the final Wednesday of the month, and that means it's always mailbag here on Rule Breaker Investing. And it'll be a little bit of a shorter mailbag. I just have five items. But for each of these items, as I mentioned at the top, I've tagged a poem. Now, these poems, many of them are original. Some original to this podcast. Some written by me. Some written by you. Dr. Seuss will be making an appearance during this podcast as well. So, we've got real professionals as part of the poetry of Rule Breaker investing. But I'm really looking forward to going through these five and sharing the creativity with you. So, without further ado, let's get started. Rule Breaker mailbag item Number 1. And this one comes from one of my favorite listeners, Kurt Elia. You've been a wonderful correspondent over the years. You've shared out some of your own story and some of your thinking. You've reflected on the podcasts. I know you're a faithful listener. Thanks a lot. So, sure, I think it's a great way to close out the final episode of the year, leading off with this mailbag item from you this week. Dear David, Kurt writes, as we weather the current market turbulence rather than focus on the short-term losses to my portfolio over the past couple of weeks, I thought it would be more fun and useful to study the factors that have allowed me to maintain a very satisfying internal rate of return, IRR, this is basically his annual performance of 15% since I started investing foolishly about 10 years ago. So, 15% annualized, Kurt says, that's about 3% better than the S&P. And while 3% may not sound like much in a given year, when you do that for 10 consecutive years, it starts to look really sweet. And Kurt, congratulations, that's spectacular. He goes on, as I sliced and diced my portfolio, I found that several of the investing practices I've learned from The Fool have served me quite well. And Kurt includes three lessons. So, lesson one, he calls it, yep, this was one of the phrases of the year for this podcast, winners, Win lesson one. Back in my dark days, Kurt writes of investing before the fool. I fancied myself a quotes value investor. I enjoy looking for good deals in my regular purchasing decisions, so I figured it made sense to look for bargains on stocks too. Sadly, this resulted in a quotes water the weeds investing strategy that led me into many quotes value traps. Since switching to the rule-breaking approach of watering my flowers instead, I've been able to achieve the market-beating results noted above by adding to my winners. To test this, I calculated a ratio for my winning stocks versus my losing stocks that represented how many times I'd purchased each stock. As you can see, my better-performing stocks are definitely the ones that I have also made multiple purchases of more often. And he includes a table, and I'll summarize it briefly. Kurt basically shows that stocks that have lost money for him, his bottom 20, he made 1.4 purchases. And then the exact opposite, stocks with over 100% total return, his top 16, he'd made 2.3 purchases per stock. And it was a pretty even gradient from the bottom to the top. The better the stocks had done for him, the more purchases of the stock he'd made. And that is indeed very rule-breakery of you, Kurt. Very Foolish. Lesson number 2, he said, pull the weeds, but do so with caution. Like you, Kurt goes on, I don't sell stocks very often. When I do, it's usually only when I'm forced to by a corporate buyout or when I believe the facts of my original thesis around the business no longer hold true. Over the years, I've been frustrated by the fact that even when I sell a company for the right reasons, those stocks continue to rise after I sell them, about twice as often as they drop." And I just have to insert here, isn't it wonderful by scoring yourself and what Kurt's doing, You can learn so much. You gain so much insight through the act of reflection. It makes me happy just thinking back to last week's podcast, where I reviewed two of our five stock samplers. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, I hope you'll go back and listen, because we are constantly reviewing and reflecting, not just on the numbers of our performance, good or bad, but specifically on the lessons that we can learn. We get so much smarter by paying attention and keeping score. Anyway, let's go right back to Kurt's letter. So, I decided to dig deeper into the numbers to see if I should just stop selling altogether. And here's what I found. On average, the stocks I've sold in my portfolio have risen a whopping 53% in price since I sold them. So far, not good. But then it occurred to me that there were wide variations in terms of how long it had been since I sold these stocks. And so, I calculated the annualized movement that each stock had made since the date that I sold it. And I got 13%. Less painful, but still pretty close to my long-term portfolio return of 15%. And I'm And going to abbreviate here, but Kurt then goes on to say that a fair amount of this selling was just in the past couple of years, which have been really strong. Anyway, lesson three, finally. I kind of already spoilered, spoiled this one. Lesson three, keep score. Kurt concludes, this whole exercise has reinforced for me how important it was that I continue to keep track of all of my past investing decisions and results so that I can objectively assess what is working and what is not, and hopefully continue to learn to do more of the former, and that is the working part, over time. Market volatility breeds emotion, but analysis of my investing statistics breeds rational thought and learning. Thanks for all you've done and continue to do to make me and my fellow Fools Better investors. Fool on, Kurt Elia. Well, that note really spoke for itself. I don't think I have to give much of a response, Kurt. So, I'll just say, Fool on, back to you. Thank you. And you've just triggered our first bit of poetry from the poetry of Rule Breaker Investing. And yep, I shared this in an earlier episode, it was Great Quotes, Volume 9, which we didn't do too long ago, and it's Dr. Seuss. And it's the opening of his book, McGilligot's Pool, which was once suggested to me many years ago by a fellow Fool, one of our members, at a member event. He said, have you really? Have you ever read McGilligot's Pool? And I think I said at the time, no, I haven't. I mean, I've read Green Eggs and Ham, who hasn't read that? And I've read and Frankly, this is a pet peeve of mine. I never really liked that much, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And I realize people love the book, and I'm sorry, but it, it didn't work for me. But I, I generally love Dr. Seuss, but I've not read McGilligot's Pool. And this member said, well, you should. And then I did. And here's the first stanza, page one. Young man laughed the farmer. You're sort of a fool. You'll never catch fish in McGilligot's Pool." And I love that book because it's all about. I mean, it starts right there with somebody that I think is kind of like you and me. The first time we think about buying stocks directly, the world in the form, in this case, of a farmer, somebody older than we are, presumably wiser. And they're laughing at us. Young man laughed the farmer. You're sort of a fool. Well, that really works for the motley fool. I mean, that line fits really well with you and me. You're sort of a fool. You'll never catch fish in McAuliffe's pool. You'll never beat the market, laughs the farmer. And yet we've found throughout the course of our 25 years as a business and really throughout my 52 years of life, and I've had some great exemplars like my father who beat the market before me, or how about Peter Lynch, whose books I read and loved, or Warren Buffett, who's done a pretty good job beating the market. Turns out, you can do it and it's not even that hard. And so, Whether you're a little boy with a fishing rod or somebody a little bit more mature with a brokerage account, I encourage you to take that risk. Don't listen to the farmers out there. Well, these kinds of farmers. There's some really good farmers out there, too. But don't listen to people laughing at you, telling you that this is a waste of time. It really is not. And Dr. Seuss knew that, too. All right, mailbag item number two, Another great note. This one from Ryan Dabieri. Dear David, I've been following you, your brother, and Bill Mann since around 2000. The collective Motley Fool advice came at the perfect time in my life, early 20s back then, and it served me well. I have a long-term and consistent investing temperament. I don't get rattled by the daily business news cycle, and I've made it a habit to live below my means. I'm doing my best to pass this mentality on to my two sons, who are now five and seven. The story about your dad giving you your entire inheritance when you came of age struck a chord with me. And yep, I've told that story before. I'm sure I'll tell it again on this podcast, but it was an incredible gift that he gave us at the age of 18 when he said, here you go, David and Tom and our sister Mackie. Here you go. This is all you're ever getting from me. Anything that I have left when I die, fortunately he hasn't yet, goes to your kids. It skips a generation. So, Be fruitful, multiply, don't screw up this portfolio. and We sure tried not to, but it was an incredible gift. So That's what Ryan's referring to. He goes on, I am blessed with the means to be able to follow that example so that my sons can start their adulthood debt-free and with some seed money that they could use to start a business, put down toward a house, etc. Not only would this provide them options that I never had, but it also would serve as a constant reminder for me to do my best to encourage them to be good, responsible, self-sufficient young men who will be properly prepared for this gift and adulthood. And if they blow some of it on an expensive sports car, well, Ryan goes on, I know of at least one other who was able to recover from this sort of indulgent and fiscally irresponsible decision with a little winky emoji, because he is indeed referring to me and my own admission that one of the first ways that I spent money was that I bought a sports car in college. And while I don't have any regrets about it, it certainly wasn't the best mathematical move for me. So, cheers and touche, Ryan. He closes, If we wanted to do something similar to what your dad did for you and Tom, what would you say is the appropriate amount in today's dollars? I figure I have about 15 years. How would you suggest I start building up their early inheritance? And here's my response, Ryan. It's a simple one as much as humanly possible. I would go for it. I would go all out. Now, I realize some people will be thinking, that's not right for me, or that's not right for my family or my kids. We used to have a Wills and Estates guy who wanted us to reduce what we're going to leave for our kids because he He was reflecting on his own kids, and he basically was saying with a smile, things like, I don't even trust them with that money. And that was sort of his attitude, and I totally understand. I'm sure that worked for him. That was right for him and his kids. So, Ryan, you're gonna know best what's really right for you. But at least in my case, on behalf of my kids, as my dad did for me, I would try to save as much as I can and put it toward their accounts and invest it as well as you can, and I'd try to grow it up into the biggest, most wonderful thing that you can. You know. Admittedly, again, this comes from me. and Part of the reason we were able to start The Motley Fool is because we had resources. We didn't have to go right out and borrow money to start a business. We didn't have to sell off all of our business to a venture capitalist in year one or two of our company. We benefited immeasurably from the generosity and vision of our dad. But, in closing, everybody's different. So, I truly believe you're going to make the best decision for your kids. But I don't think there's any single number or magic number that would work for every child in the world where I could give an answer to that question that anybody could take away and use. My own attitude, you just heard, I would say, go for it. And you've put me in mind of something I want to share as our second offering of Rule Breaker Investing Poetry. Now, of the five I'll be sharing throughout this podcast, this is the only one that comes from me. And there's a little backstory that I want to share with you again. I have previously shared this on this podcast, but it was a while ago now. And as I thought about what poetry I wanted to feature, this one came back to me. So here it is. First of all, let me say that it's slam poetry. And this is the only, for anybody who's ever been to a poetry slam, well, I've been to one too, but just one. And the one that I happen to have attended was at the Conscious Capitalism. CEO Summit a couple of years back, and the person who was coaching us is actually a very famous slam poet. His, name, his actual name is Adam, but his stage name is N-Q, In-Q, qi I'm going to share with you in just a sec what he said to us to inspire us to write a slam poem that day, which I will shortly be sharing. But before I do that, I want to give you a hot tip. So if you want to be inspired, if you want to spend three or four minutes sometime this holiday season on YouTube and be maybe a little bit blown away, maybe with a loved one or your family around, I would highly recommend that you just Google NQ YouTube. And there you'll find yourself on a YouTube page with some of the work that he's put up on YouTube. Three, four minute videos. Two in particular. One, a poem about saying yes. That's the name of the poem. And the second, is entitled, The Only Reason We're Alive. The first of those, I should mention, has about 48,000 views on YouTube, which is a lot more views than I get for my typical podcast that goes up on YouTube. So, good job, NQ. That one's pretty great, and it really is. You're going to enjoy a poem about saying yes, but the second one has 2 million views on YouTube, The Only Reason We're Alive. and While it might be a slightly better poem, I'm not even sure that it's better than the first. It happens to be animated. It's a voiceover as he reads it. And so, I think what that proves to us is that if you add a little bit of animation and turn something into a Pixar-like thing, you're going to get 2 million views on YouTube. Whereas, if you just kind of do-it-yourself on stage at a TEDx talk, you're only going to get 48,000 views. Both are great. I recommend them to you. So, what did NQ say to us that day? Well, we had about 20 minutes to write a poem. But just before it, he said, here's the thing. When you write your poem, You're going to have 20 minutes, and I want you to think about a time where you walked through a door, something happened, and when you walked back through that door, you were changed forever. And he said, it's not going to be something that probably happened at the office. I mean, it could be, but he said to us, think a little bit bigger. Think outside of your normal space. And so that's what about 60 or 70 of us did over the course of the next 20 or 25 minutes. I'm going to tell you that a few of us got up and read our poems. I was not one of them. i was certainly raising my hand, but I knew that I could share it one day with you, my Rule Breaker Investing listeners, so why be selfish and try to get there in front of the mic in front of 70 others? But the three people who stepped up. We had a gentleman who had immigrated to this country and was sharing how he went from a place that was cold, where he'd been from, and flew right to Houston, where he was going to be living, and what a different life that was. So, it was a great immigrant tale. Then we had the story of a woman who'd lost her voice. She woke up one day and had a malady that caused her to lose her voice for two years of her life. And she reflected, after about 20 minutes of poetry slamming, on how that felt and how hard it was. And then we had another woman, and this is really going to an emotional place. And the poem she slammed down was her lying in bed next to her second husband, reflecting on the incredibly difficult circumstance of having to make the decision to pull the plug a decade or so before on her first husband. So, you can only imagine how emotional that whole Poetry Slam coaching session was. It was, it was actually almost like one part group therapy and one part extreme positivity around the poems and the expressions that people came up with. So, now I want to share with you my short Poetry Slam, about a door that I once went through, and when I came back through that door, I emerged changed forever, and it's called Why Did Everything Stop That Day? Why did everything stop that day? Because it did. Why did everything stop that day? In a way, I could say that never, no way, had something like this happened before to me. What is more, I was sure that it would happen again. When? I didn't know, but it did. Everything stopped that day. My way of doing what I did before. Selfishness stopped. Well, some of it, and that was good. As was some of my ambition, stopped. Stopping, dropping to a point where something in me said, I don't care. I don't care about the where of where we'll live. I don't care about the who of who you'll be. You'll be you. And that is enough for me. Stopped. Stopped worrying when you'll talk or walk or balk at a boy. Your first word, your first step, your first date. Because everything stopped the day you were born, daughter, and now, now, everything starts. All right. Well, not a bad experience, that Poetry Slam session. Sometimes I wonder how much better we could have done if we'd spent more time at it. You know, 25 minutes. But then I think maybe poetry that comes fast and furious is the whole idea of a Poetry Slam. Thanks again to NQ. I highly recommend those YouTube videos. All right, rule breaker mailbag item number three. This one comes from Zach Thielen. Now, Thielen is spelled T H I E L E N, and some people might say Thielen, and maybe I should have said Thielen, but I have a friend, my longtime Motley Fool Rule Breakers friend and analyst, Carl Thiel, and then there's Peter Thiel, and they both go with T H I E L. So I'm going to go with Zach Thielen. And Zach, thanks for writing this note. Hello, David. He writes, I've been a listener to this podcast for years with hopes of becoming more and more, quotes, foolish. That's, of course, with a capital F. Even though I've listened for years, I've just recently reached a point in my life in which I'm able to actively invest. I graduated from college last May, and now with a full-time job, I've been able to save up some money. I started investing in late July of this year, spreading $5,000 across 10 companies or so using the Robinhood app. Since then, I've been adding money here and there as I've seen better deals come about. However, the market just keeps on dropping. To date, I have a total of $11,500 invested, with about a 10% drop in value. Now, in these last few months, I've learned that there are good times to invest, and then there are clearly better times to invest. Unfortunately, during this time, I've been breaking the rules of Rule Breaker Investing by adding to my losers because, well, Almost all my stocks are losers, and yet, I still believe they are good companies. All in all, my question for you, then, is, when the entire market seems to be dropping over a long period of time, should we, as investors, hold for a certain period of time to see how things play out, or continue to buy these great companies at discounted prices? In my experience, it's not helped to continue to buy in these last few months, but it's gotten my price per share lower, which is good if and when the market does go up. Thanks for all the knowledge and wisdom that you share and Fool on, Zach Thielen." Well, Zach, thank you for that note. And I'm delighted, first of all, that you've been listening for years, following along, getting more and more Foolish, graduating college. this past May. Outstanding. I'm also delighted to hear that you landed a job. I bet it's a good job. I bet your employer is happy that he or she found you. And I'm delighted to think that you've already been saving thousands of dollars and putting those toward companies I hope some of the ones that we typically talk about in Rule Breaker Investing, or maybe you're a subscriber to Motley Fool Stock Advisor or Rule Breakers, and I hope you own those kinds of companies, ones that are built to last, ones that innovate, ones that do something great in this world. That's what we're all about, and I've always been about, in 25 years of investing right out front with anybody who wants to tap in anywhere around the world to our website and see what we think and what we're doing. It is obviously unfortunate that you started right as the market started down. And if you got to hear last week's podcast when I was reviewing some of our five-stock samplers, happy to say they've still been good investments, but almost every one of those stocks was dramatically higher just a few months ago. We've seen some of the great companies like NVIDIA get cut in half in just a couple of months. So, it's obviously bad luck, bad timing, that you were starting your investment career in the teeth of a market drop. But as I think you already know, if you fast forward looking back to today, I think you're going to be awfully happy that you rewound your DVR back to where we are here at the end of 2018, because I suspect you're getting some pretty good prices for some of these companies that you're continuing to buy, because you're still saving and you're still investing more. And I'm pretty sure you know about this, if you listen to the podcast for years, which you said you have, pretty sure you know that we believe in making a lifetime commitment to being an investor. Not exiting the market, not jumping back in, but just saving as you're doing with every salary check, and putting some of that back toward more stocks. Sometimes more of the same stocks, we'll talk about that in a sec, and sometimes more new stocks as well. And building a portfolio, for life. You're going to be really happy that you started this year. It's tough how that first $11,500 has performed for you just looking back over the last few months, but I know that you know that the market goes up over time and you will dramatically benefit from the effort that you're making now. So, the heart of your question is, we don't like to add to losers. I just shared Kurt Elia's note, it's all about continually adding to your winners. But when you've only had a losing period, I mean, that's what you've just lived through, then, of course, I think it's fine for you to continue to add to stocks that you believe in if you've started positions and want to keep filling them out. I personally think a good aspirational goal is to get from zero stocks, which is where we all start as new investors, to 15 stocks as fast as possible. You might have already done that. If you only have eight stocks so far, I might suggest that with your next $1,000, you buy a ninth stock, and then with your next 1000 after that, buy a tenth stock. I like a minimum portfolio of 15 stocks. As I've mentioned many times before, my portfolio hovers more around 50 stocks at this point in my life. I know you know the Gardner-Kretzmann continuum, which gives you a guide, gives us all a guide, to roughly how many stocks you might want to think about owning at different stages of your life. But again, to close, given the performance of the stock market, where pretty much everything has just been down, that's not the add-to-losers mistake we're talking about on this podcast and at The Motley Fool. The losers, by that definition, are typically companies that are failing in some way, shape, or form. They're hitting new 52-week lows, while the rest of the market isn't. But we happen to be living right now in a market where everything's hitting 52-week lows at the same time. And so, I think it's fine, again, to continue to add to companies, assuming that you're adding to them because you like their businesses, you believe in their prospects, and. Whether or not they had a good or bad earnings report this quarter, you expect better things in the next three to five years. So, we're talking about the business performance itself. The stock market comes and goes up and down, but it's the business performers, that's the winning we're often talking about adding to your winners. And yes, indeed, usually winning businesses equals winning stocks over any meaningful period of time. And so, adding to winners almost means the same thing. So, I hope I've spoken properly to your question. It's a good nuanced question. Most of all, I wish you great encouragement here as we enter 2019. Together. And Zach, that puts me in mind of another bit of poetry. This is poem number three for our podcast this week. This one's a short one. It came a short while ago. It was on a mailbag written by a fellow, I think, a young investor. His name was Aiden. And I think you'll appreciate hearing this poem again. Till I am old, I will buy and hold. It may seem quite boring, but what fun it is scoring and not much have I ever sold. The market may change, and others may sell, but I have held on, and I have done well." Well, it's hard for any of us to have done that well in the last few months of investing, but what I really appreciate about Aiden's brief poem there, Till I Am Old, is it almost sounds and It almost sounds like another page later in McElligot's pool. The market may change, others may sell, but I have held on and I have done well. And I trust that you and that young fellow with a fishing rod in McGelligat's pool are birds of a feather. So, thank you, Aiden, and thank you, Zach, for your note. I try not to play favorites on this show, but this of the five letters, this this might be my favorite. And why do I love what I'm about to share with you? Well, it'll become evident very quickly, but I'll just preview it by saying, somebody created something. Some of the poems I'm sharing with you on the show were creations from our listeners who sent in their poetry and we got to share it out. But this is a special creation of an entirely different nature. This note from Clay McKinney begins, Hi Rick! That's my producer Rick. David, that's me, and Matt Argusinger, who is my longtime market cap game show sidekick, Although in recent times, in fact, just a few weeks ago, I welcomed a new guest star to the show, Emily Flippin, who really did star. Anyway, hi Rick, David and Matt singer Clay McKinney writes, I made an online version of the Market Cap Game Show, and I just posted it at marketcapgameshow.com. So, pause right there. So, Clay, first of all, you rock. You actually created the software version of this game, and you bought the URL, marketcapgameshow.com. I absolutely love it. Let's return to Clay's text here. He said, it has an easy mode for us mortals, a hard mode that follows the rules on the show, stats, Clay says, my batting average is less than 200, sadly, and a way to customize the list of stocks on which it quizzes you. On the About page, I give you credit for making up the game, and I direct users to the Rule Breakers podcast and the newsletter. Thank you so much for the inspiration, for the podcast, and for all that extra money in my retirement account I have from listening to you these past few years, Clay McKinney. Clay goes without saying, you rock. I've already played the game. I went to your lovely site. I encourage every listener to go to MarketCapGameShow.com and play along. I went right to hard mode. Easy mode gives some kind of benchmark numbers, like is this a hundred million dollar or a billion or a hundred billion, you know. Closest, you get it. But the hard mode—that—that's the heart and soul of what we do on the show. That's where you have to guess the market cap unaided, within twenty percent either way. And Clay, you made that the hard mode. I appreciate. It. I went right to hard mode because that's the only way I'll play this game. And you randomized the stock for me, which is, I think, how this works. A company I'd never heard of. Plural Sight. Ticker symbol is PS. You even include a little snippet about what the company does. It says PluralSight Inc operates as an enterprise software company. The firm offers a platform that provides technology skill development solutions mainly by providing various courses for related to technology. That's right, that's a typo. I'm not sure where this came from, but by providing various courses for related to technology which include mobile security, IT and data. I know that's not Clay's fault. He's just pulling somebody else's slightly miswritten and pretty hazy I would say non-helpful business description. I found that a lot of tech speak and biz speak that didn't really help. So I just sort of thought, plural site, hmm, enterprise software company. And so I just tapped in 3.5B. I'd know nothing about this company. And I'm happy to say, winner, winner, chicken dinner, current market cap is, and you actually give the full number 3,226,844,040. Dollars, And I haven't even hit the next stock button to go to the next one, because I might want to immortalize myself as the 1,000-hitter, the guy who went one-for-one. One. There are a few of these, aren't there, in the real baseball encyclopedia? Well, there might or might not be. At some point in the last 100-plus years of American baseball, presumably, one person got just one at-bat and maybe just got one hit. but. I think everyone knows I'm the game show host for this game, so I'm not expecting to be the talented athlete that Emily Flippin or Matt Argusinger or many of our listeners are. I'm just the host, so I love being one for one with a company that I'd never heard of. Anyway, half-joking aside, Clay, great job. Really fun. You've created fun that I can now share out to many of our listeners through this podcast. In the same way that I shared out Q's URL and YouTube videos earlier, I'm sharing out equally. Clay McKinney, who, for me, stands shoulder-to-shoulder with NQ in terms of creating greatness on the internet. MarketCapGameShow.com, my 16th favorite website. So, as I thought about what poetry to include right after mailbag item number 4, I thought, yeah, listeners creating stuff for this podcast. MarketCapGameShow.com, now the immortalized Clay McKinney. And how about Andrew Vonderloft, who earlier this year, knowing my love of language and wordplay, wrote a poem and sent it to us called Word Play. I'm about to read it, but let me say before I do that part of the beauty of this poem are the puns and the changes in spelling, which can't fully be appreciated by you merely listening to me read this. And so I'm going to ask my friend and producer, Rick Engdahl, to include that in our Twitter feed on RBI podcast and just paste it in so you can see an image and fully appreciate Andrew's poem, Word Play. With homonymic play, I pray you hear and find if here I write what's right or no. I know in Hunter's Quest, the deer is deer. Not so the useless knot for those who sow. Pronunciation plays another game. When route may rhyme with either out or suit. Though sounds conflict, they signify the same for dialect is seldom absolute. The play of ambiguity is deaf. When ambidextrous options are in sight, the one not chosen on your right is left, but what you choose is on your left. And write. The playfulness of words is quite the school to make of me more of a motley fool. Thank you, Andrew. And finally, rule breaker mailbag item number five. This one comes from Wade Cherry in relatively nearby Ruston, Virginia. Hello, neighbor. All right, Wade writes You mentioned at one point relating sports and games to investing. As I was thinking about what you said, specifically about poker, as that's a game I enjoy, Wade writes, I do think there's a good lesson to be gleaned from the game of poker. As poker is at its core a game of statistics, I like to think about investing similarly. Like, placing a bet and not knowing what the future holds, buying a company is analogous. While you don't know what will happen, your analysis has convinced you that your play-slash-investment is, to use a poker term, a positive expected value." But even if your analysis is correct and you have a high percentage chance of making money, slash, winning, you may actually lose money. Just because you lose money on an investment, you should keep in mind that your investment may still have been the correct decision of the time when you purchased shares. While you should reanalyze investment losses, don't convince yourself that you must find your, "quotes" mistake. It may never have been a mistake. And I believe this is a good lesson to remember. I'm going to pause there just for a sec before going to the end and say that was a great point that Peter Lynch made in his book, One Up on Wall Street. He said, just because a stock went up doesn't necessarily always mean that you had it right. You may have been a little lucky, and just because a stock went down doesn't mean you had it wrong. And for me, there's always going to be a balance between agreeing with Lynch on that point, while at the same time, on the other side, making sure that outcomes We really do pay attention to them and respect them. So, in a broad sense, if it went up, you were right, and if it went down, you were wrong. But in a more subtle and nuanced and true sense, sometimes when we're right, we didn't necessarily deserve to be right. And sometimes when we're wrong, we didn't deserve to be wrong. So, great point, Wade. He goes on, closing, I've listened to every RBI episode since day one and feel that not only do I have a better grasp of investing, but a better worldview. It's wonderful to be able to listen to you without any political undertones, something that seems increasingly rare nowadays. I love how you sprinkle literary comments and naturally some Shakespeare into the mix. And I must say that, ironically, some of my favorite podcasts have been the ones that aren't about investing. I'm a gamer, so I enjoy listening to your Christmas board game specials, but your podcast a few years ago about American values may have been the best. And I still remember the values, liberty, enterprise, justice, resilience, and generosity. I don't have a question for you, Wade closes. I'm simply happy to be listening and enjoying your podcast. Cheers, and thank you for suffering a fool gladly. One of my new besties, Wade Cherry. Well, as I prepare my final bit of poetry to end this podcast, I just want to say, whether it was the Omega of Wade Cherry or the Alpha of Kurt Elia or everyone in between, and the many who wrote in and I couldn't feature this podcast, and the many who never do write in. You just listen, and you learn, I hope, and you share it out. And I hope you act, and that you act better as a consequence of the work that we do on this podcast. And before I close with what I try to present on this podcast every year, my reading of another user-submitted poem, Why We Invest. I want to make sure that I thank my producer, Rick Engdahl. He's an outstanding resource. He's done pretty much every single one of these podcasts every week. Occasionally, we'll have somebody else talented sub in. I'm almost embarrassed that I just called Rick a resource, because that's not really how I think about him. I think about Rick as a friend, and somebody who's been at The Motley Fool, it seems like, almost as long as I have. And somebody with multiple talents, whether he's thinking about how to do The Motley Fool brand better, how to add fun, he's a musician, he's a great photographer, he does photo shoots of me, or produce most of these podcasts. And while I don't spend time doing credits and rolling the credits every podcast like some others do, I want Rick to know, and I know that he's hearing me right now, that I deeply appreciate his efforts uh, every week to bring Rule Breaker Investing to all of you. One little admission on my part, which I occasionally mention, just kind of talking out the side of my mouth at a member event, letting a few members know, I constantly start and stop during this podcast. And I do things like this. three, let let's take it again, Rick. Because I, I want to try to hit the Mojoost every single time. I think it just leads to a better podcast. But sometimes, people overrate my eloquence because they think that I speak continuously in full sentences without ever stopping. The truth is, every single week, I start and stop a few dozen times. And part of what Rick does is he pulls out all those starts and stops. I think one podcast, maybe like two and a half years ago, I was listening to it after having done it, and I heard myself live on that podcast go 3, two, 1, because Rick once out of 10,000 times missed me doing that, and it was hilarious to me to hear broadcasting to you in this podcast, I just go 3, two, 1 and restart right in the middle of that one podcast. But uh, So, that's part of what Rick does every week, is he takes out all my starts and stops to create the best end product, which is what I'm always shooting for, for you. 3 two, one, go. All right. Well, every year at this time, I share with you one of my favorite haikus. It's not just a three-liner, though. It's an extended form of haiku. It's one haiku after another in stanzas, and it was submitted by a longtime Motley Fool member, actually a family. In fact, I do believe it's a pair of two sisters who just took the appellation within our community Captain Haiku. So, before I launch into their haiku, Why We Invest, I'll just mention that they were reacting to something that I had written before, one of the introductions to one of our monthly newsletters at the time. I think it was Rule Breakers, and it was my Why We Invest column. So, I'm going to just read the part that they're referencing, pause, and then go right into their poem. And this is how we're closing it out. So, let me just say right now, let me be the first to say, Happy New Year, and thanks a lot for listening. Let's have a great year in 2019. Okay, so here's what I wrote. I wrote, here's why we invest, for our children and grandchildren, because our parents and grandparents did, and made our lives so much better, because every dollar we invest supports the companies and businesses we admire, because we love and celebrate ownership, and we believe this world will be far stronger for more owners, not more renters, because the academics are wrong, because with Arthur O'Shaughnessy and his ode, we are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams, Investing is our instrument and making dreams come true, sorry, Disney, is a very real Motley Fool goal. I see it happen with amazing testimonials, bull market or no, every day on our discussion boards. And now here comes Captain Haiku. Sorry, can't truncate. Each word has import and heart. Not selfish, we build." Many years gone by, hard work, hard times, good times too. Haiku needs little. Why do we invest? So that our hard work endures beyond our short years. So that our children start their journeys on a hill and see the mountain. We build battlements that endure, shelter others from the worst of storms. We launch sturdy ships. We will not see the far shore. But have no regrets. We are a small part of all we set in motion. And thus, we invest. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.